Are you financially ready for divorce? Are you not sure where to begin? Today, we'll be talking with two financial experts, Stephanie McCullough and Christine Hennigan, who will provide support and information to help you get in the best financial shape possible before divorce so you can be self-sufficient, avoid common money mistakes, so you can survive financially and make the best decisions for yourself. Also talk about managing your emotions when it comes to money. I'm Sharon Pastore. This is the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Let's move forward. You're listening to the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Join us as we help you navigate your divorce without going broke, relationships in ruin, or ending up in court. You'll get into financial and emotional shape, make sense of the legal process, get strong enough to negotiate for yourself, be a mindful parent, stay amicable with your spouse so you can get a fresh start. Please welcome your host for this episode, Adina Laver, founder of Courage to be Curious and formerly Divorce Essentials. The focus of our call today, getting your finances in order, is really about gaining that confidence around the financial component. And whether someone has been perhaps overseeing the finances and been a primary breadwinner in a relationship um, or a partner in bringing in the, in the primary income earner um, in a relationship, we all still have our vulnerabilities. And certainly if you have been a partner in a relationship where you've not either managed the finances, the investments, have a strong and understanding, earned as much income, there's a lot of vulnerability. Money is the number one anxiety stressor, according to surveys um, for Americans, and certainly then to get to divorce, it's heightened even further, for sure. So this is one of the reasons we felt, felt it was so critical to do a call here, and it's also why it is absolutely so critical to reach out for support around the money piece, because it gets everyone anxious, everyone afraid, and you know we really know that making good decisions takes a lot of putting yourself out there to ask the hard questions and to be willing to kind of face whatever fears you have. And we're going to talk about those today. And I'll share a little bit of this experience, but I actually am coming to this call right now from meeting with a certified divorce financial analyst, not Christine because she's here on the call with us, but another one with a client and just really that experience, the kind of anxiety that can be produced and looking at what divorce means financially. And there's always a way through, and that's what we want to help you do. So our guest today are Stephanie McCullough, and she is absolutely passionate about helping um, women in particular make wise financial decisions. She's been a financial advisor for 16 years, and in doing that, saw a real need to increase women's confidence. And actually, the research says women are exceedingly good at managing finances, but we don't always believe that. Um, so her goal is really to help women come to understand that and gain the strategies and tools that they need to be able to live that. She's the founder of Sophia Financial, a business that empowers women to make these wise financial decisions and address their areas of money stress that they can free up their time and mental energy to spend on other things that are truly important. And she truly recognizes that money is a tool, right? It's a money is a tool that we learn how to use to have the things that we want. Our second guest today is Christine Hennon. 
who is a wealth manager, a financial advisor, as well as a certified divorce financial analyst. And for many people, this would be a fairly new term because a certified divorce financial analyst is some is a term or a name of a title for someone that you would only know if you were actually going through the divorce process. But it is typically someone who has a financial advising background but who has been specifically trained to do analysis of finances and to educate people and look at money in the terms of divorce. So really, really in good um good person to know about. Christina is a chartered financial consultant and a CDFA for 23 years. She's been dedicated to helping individuals and businesses achieve their goals through sound financial planning. And she specializes in working with clients who are divorced, widowed, or otherwise left to prepare for an independent She frequently works alongside attorneys and mediators and their clients to navigate the complex financial aspects of the divorce process, including determining short and long-term financial impact of the proposed divorce settlements. She's also a trained divorce mediator um, as well and has experience in serial cases too. Her CDFA company is Divorce Wealth Strategies, and I want to say a very big welcome to both of you. So thank you so much for being here. And Stephanie, you wanted to say a little hello, and if there's anything else you'd like to add in introduction, I'm inviting you to do so. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me on board. I'm happy to be here with you all today. Um, yeah, as Adina mentioned, you know, I've been working as a financial advisor 16 years, and I just so many women who either found the whole topic of money intimidating or maybe the industry intimidating or they had outsourced the financial functions to someone else in their lives or they were doing the financial stuff but they just weren't sure they were on the right track um, and they needed, they could go, you know, someone they could trust, someone to be completely uh, transparent and really align the money stuff with what's most important to them. So that's what I was um, working on doing when I started Sophia Financial about four years ago. Thanks. Christine, hi, welcome on, and I want to just invite you to say a few words of introduction. Yes, and thank you as well for inviting me to the call. I, I really um, am passionate about this area, and really after about 10 years of financial planning and working with clients post-divorce that also um, – propelled me to bridge into the CDFA work, I just found that there were so many times where we would come in after the fact and look financial matters only to find out that it would have been good to help with financial strategy next to the legal strategy during the divorce process. So this is something that I'm very passionate about. I work with a lot of widowed and divorced females and have done a number of speaking engagements regarding financial matters for women. So um, very, very passionate about this area and very glad that we're doing a call about this topic. Great. And I will also say, I know that you express that passion, but you also work with men. You know, we have a lot of men registered for this call today as well that, you know, Christine's practice definitely works with men and women. And of course, there are, you know, a number of CDFAs that make local area because not everyone is local to the mainline Philadelphia area. Um, and right. um, Christine, what's that website that if someone needed to find a CDFA that was local to them, what is that website that people would go to? Well, they'd probably go to the Institute of Divorce Financial Analyst website if mm-hmm. they Google the Institute of Divorce Financial Analyst. As a non, um, 
as a non-CFA member, I believe you're able to go in and search through zip codes or, you know, if, if someone, I go to a number of conferences around the country, so I have colleagues all over the country. If someone is not in the area but would like to contact me, I can try to connect them with somebody in their area, either that or, or work with them remotely. So, Great. Thanks. Um, so, you know, want to start this conversation, as I mentioned, you know, talking about finances and divorce, you know, usually in terms of the priority order, children are a top priority in terms of what we think, you know, we want to be protective about. But the most anxiety-producing piece of this for most people is, of course, the financial piece of divorce. And so, you know, Stephanie, I know you've done so much reading about this, and this is really an area of expertise for you, but, you know, what makes this whole thing so anxiety-producing? You know, where does the, all this anxiety and fear come from? Yeah, and the fascinating part to me when I started researching this was that um, the industry and the professionals for so long just assumed that we were all kind of rational actors and that we were coolly weighing the pros and cons of all our financial decisions. Well, anyone who's, you know, gone through difficult decisions or even, you know, dealt with temptation realizes that not exactly true. There are other factors that come into play. So there's a whole field of research now. There are college majors and tons of books on the fact that human beings are actually not wired to be good at money. And then when you add on top of that all the uncertainty and the emotional ups of a divorce, it really compounds the problem. A big part of it is that really money is intertwined with our whole lives, right? Identity, our feelings of self-worth, how much we do or do not earn, potentially being dependent on others, right? How could all of those topics not be optional? And then when you get a lot of emotion going on, it really does decrease our ability as human beings to process information, to think strategically, and to deal with difficult tasks. And all of those are things that we have to do when we're going through the biggest financial transaction of our lives. Right. And I think you said something there, which is so critical, you know, that and sometimes we think like making these decisions about money. And even when we go and meet financial advisor lots of times, it's very black and white, like here's what you have, here's what you should be doing. But then, as you just said, everything that you can or can't do, everything that you're, is being discussed is so tied up in identity, so tied up in yeah. senses of self-worth and a sense yep. of success and all those kinds of things that it really can throw us askew. So no matter how savvy we are, how educated, how knowledgeable we are, none of us is, is the fact that our emotions and our self-identity come into play there, which is why, you know, it is hard to approach us. And we'll talk about things we can do and also why it's an important fear to face because it does, money does play a big role in our lives. Absolutely. Christine, anything you want to add there from your experience in working with people through this transition? I would just say that there is, there is a lot of uncertainty and that does cause fear. And a lot of these people that are going into this divorce process haven't managed the finances before. So there's a lot of fear just in the unknown and not knowing what's out there. And, um, and they really, they really have a lot of other things that are distracting them and that they're also concerned about. They're dealing with potential custody issues and, and so many other things. So it, it's really hard for them to focus at that period of time on their finances because you really have a lot of other emotional 
pieces of the process that um, that are that are pulling them away from able to focus on the finances. That's why the team is so important. Absolutely. And so, you know, we're I do want to talk about ways of thinking, but we're going to come back to that. But you brought us into the divorce team. And this is something I know if people have been on calls with me before that I've talked about is this idea of having a divorce support team, that divorce is not the time to go it alone because no matter how strong or resilient we want to be, we think we are, the fact is is that we are compromised because we're really facing something that's certain. It is emotional, and there's it's just a lot to take in. And so, you know, Christine, you brought up this idea of a divorce support or of a support team. You know, what does that look like? Who might be on a um, divorce support team? What's the interplay of, you know, some of the professionals like there's financial advisors, a coach, a therapist, how do they all play in here? Well, part of it depends on what process, what type of um, divorce process you're entering into, whether it's, um, the traditional uh, divorce process or whether you're, you're in mediation or in collaborative. But generally, the team would be the attorney or attorneys. Um, if it's a mediator, you're probably going to have a mediator and, and two uh, independent attorneys, financial, you know, CDFAs or financial people involved and therapists and divorce coaches. But the team really can – every case is different um, and other parties may be needed as we're in for instance, a forensic accountant, um, CPAs, business valuation people. So, it the case generally the case will generally dictate who is on the team. But I would say at the core, you you have your attorneys and you have your finance people and your therapist and divorce coach. And so, let me. I want to ask this question, and I'll ask both. Christine, let me just jump in here and ask you a question. Many people who attorneys first, which, of course, you know, we think of the legal part of getting divorced, and rely upon attorneys solely or mediators solely for the financial component of their divorce and making the financial decisions. And so, you know, tell us a little bit about that relationship. When does that work? When might not that, when might that not be the best decision? Um, what's the difference between what the lawyer does um, regarding the financial components of the divorce, divorce and what a financial advisor like you or you or Stephanie might do as part of this process. What's the difference? Well, we have, we have very different training. And the lawyers who have worked consistently with certified divorce financial analysts embrace our involvement because we do a lot of parts of the case that either they don't want to do or they aren't qualified to do. So um, so really, when all of us are involved, it's a very nice partnership in working on behalf of the client, but we'll work on financial strategy while they're working on legal strategy. And, and I think there's a philosophy, too, in terms of, or my observation is the present versus future think. So the, the attorneys are trying to get the best results for their client. Um, here and now. And our training isn't necessarily to look 3, 5, 10, 20 years down the road and say, you know, how, how will this work for the client in terms of mix of assets and cash flow and whether one thing should be, be offset for another. And so, 
you know, I'm really putting on a, a financial planning hat during the divorce process as well, where we're looking down the line and some of the, some of the decisions that need to be made have tax implications that the attorneys don't always um, understand and, and, you know, some, some of the apps that can't be divided, but, you know, no one uh, knew that at the time. So, you know, there, there are a number of examples I could go into, but I, I think that portfolios need to look, be looked at. I've, I've had a situation a while back where I was brought in post-divorce. The client was very upset said they had lost 40% of their money, they couldn't sleep at night, it was causing a, a lot of stress after the divorce, and I said, let's take a look at things, and, you know, we really came to find out that that person had inherited a mirror image of their spouse's portfolio, which they had never handled, and that portfolio really um, had no um, alignment with their goals, risk tolerance, and what they needed their money to do for them. So after looking at patient, that person could have easily maintained their lifestyle in a 3%, you know, rate of return on the portfolio distribution rate. However, you know, they positioned such that, that everything needed to be changed and there were taxes. So, you know, I think that if, if we can look ahead, and that, that really was the case that led me to become a CDFA because I thought we have to get involved pre-divorce to help the attorneys in the financial strategy of who should get what and why and, you know, and to look at how everybody can best walk away as financially as possible. It brings peace of mind and it helps settle cases so that they don't spend a lot of time in litigation and spending money. So, you know. Thanks, Christine. I think that was a great example yeah, it makes it really tangible. Stephanie, is there anything you wanted to add here about, you know, the interplay of the finances and the legal piece of this and how you kind of in the support or you've seen the support team benefit people? Yeah, I, I wanted to really echo what Christine said. I mean, what the financial person can really do, give you that objective reality check of, you know, what does this amount of money mean for my future? How can you then put it to work for you, as she said, achieve your goals. You know, a good financial advisor does a lot of listening to get a clear picture of really your priorities, your values, the life that you want to create, and then you line up the money stuff to support that. So in the example that Christine gave, you know, the, the portfolio this person got as part of the settlement, no connection with that person's life and what the money was supposed to do. It's all about what is this money's job, and then you figure out, how to put it. And Stephanie, I want to take that and I want to go in because when I looked at the comments that people entered when they registered for this call and what are you concerned about or what questions do you have, you know, almost a third, you know, at least 20, somewhere between 25 and 30 percent of people wrote something concerned with, you know, how am I going to be independent after this? How will I be able to support or sustain myself or the fear about not having enough and things like that? You know, so... Up until this point, you know, a couple and typically, you know, many people who are registered for this call married more than 10 years, many married more than two years, and have only known what it looks like in a joint situation and the fear, especially if there's a discrepancy in earning, um, you know, how it look on the other side. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about in this is that 
when we think about that question, how will I support myself? How will I sustain myself or my family and my family on the other side? Is um, I was thinking about the fact that you know five years ago, if we were to ask ourselves, could I imagine myself being in the divorce situation? Most people would probably say no. And our brains are really not wired to predict the future very well, because otherwise, if we'd known five years ago we were heading here, we might have made other decisions, right? So our brain naturally looks at where we are now and assumes that the future will look exactly like that. You know, it will look at like that or it will get worse because our brain is very seduced by the disaster, you know, theories about what, what things will look like. We don't tend to envision, gee, maybe when this is all done and whatever, things will actually be brighter for me, even if the financial statement doesn't say it today. So, but I wanted to ask you about this future piece and this future thinking and the future planning and using money as a tool. And, you know, talk to us about how do we work through that uncertain that we have about the future and gain a sense that money is a tool and we have the capacity to both, you know, manipulate or grow it. Like, how do we get there when our mind takes us into all these horror stories? Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, in the behavioral finance area, they call that the recency bias. We look at the most recent past and we think that's going to continue on into the future. And that can work for us, you know, both ways. The recent past has been at least financially, rosier, and now if the future is not going to look like that, that's a disaster. Or, you know, the recent past has been horrible, and the future, how can it be better? So definitely is something that people get caught up in, you know, and through no fault of your own. You know, it really is um, a, a brain wiring kind of question. So, you know, a lot of it comes down to this worry that I'm not going to have as much as I have had to live on, and how, how does that work? Um, and really so much of, of what we do in the financial world is, is allocating those scarce resources. I mean, for everybody but, you know, Bill Gates, money is a scarce resource. We don't have as much of it as perhaps we would like to. So we really do have to kind of to take the time to get back to the fundamentals, you know, really sitting down and thinking through what is most important to you. Okay, yes, you've lived in a big house for a long time, but, you know, very often when I look at people's spending, where their money's actually going, after we've done the really kind of deep talking about what's most important to them, there's really not that much alignment. You know, you told me the most important thing for you was experiences and being with your family, and yet here's all this spending on stuff. So, while it's not necessarily fun and it's not necessarily something to do voluntarily, um, it is an opportunity to kind of realign and recenter back with what is most important to you and then line the assets up to meet it. Mm. But the other thing is I think a lot of people get stuck in this assumption that, that they're not going to have enough, that it is going to be a disaster. I worked with one woman a couple of years ago who just, I mean, she could barely sleep at night because she was convinced she was never going to be able to retire. She was not going to have enough. She was going to end up living on cat food, right? This was the fear that she had in her mind. And literally, we sat down and, and looked through the actual figures. And once we had her Social Security projected benefit, which we did together, we looked on the Social Security website. And then in looking through her paperwork, I discovered she was entitled to some money from her ex-husband's pension plan. When we put those two numbers alone, Forget about her retirement plan, any other assets she might have. Those two numbers alone, assets, you know, income that she couldn't outlive, 
I could just see the change in her whole body language and the relief on her face, like, I don't have to live on food. You know, so I, I think we get caught up in these assumptions that, you know, we know that things are going to be a disaster when, you know, that is the role of a financial professional to give you that check, to run the numbers, to do the projections that we cannot do in our head and, you know, face that reality. I think that was such a great example. And, you know, we all have those. Every single one of us has a story, and it's bringing those stories to light that really can help us find a pathway through that. So, you know, that was was a fantastic story. So, you know, Christine, I want to come back to you, and one of the questions that somebody asked is, you know, if I'm anticipating that we're going to be getting a divorce, either because I'm the one who's going to ask for it or bring it up, we've decided mutually and we kind of see the writing on the wall, or I think my partner's going to, what are some things that would be a really good idea for me to do to prepare for an upcoming divorce? There are no papers are filed yet or things like that. What are some really wise decisions or wise things I could do before the beginning of the process? Well, I think part of it goes back to your prior question um, because a lot of people have not been managing the finance. So it's, I think some of that fear and that um, that negative thinking about I'm not going to have enough or um, how am I going to manage if I step away comes from not even knowing what they have. So part of, part of what you're initially doing is trying to inventory your assets. And I had a situation, it was about, about 13 years ago, where I had a woman who, when I first met with her, she knew the name of the company where her husband worked. Um, he was a very high-level executive. And beyond that, that was it. She didn't know how much he made. She didn't know where the accounts were. She didn't know anything about um, his corporate benefits and certainly didn't understand the nature of stock options and deferred comp plans and, you know, all the other assets that they had. So in the beginning with her, it was a matter of just trying to play detective and figure out what assets are out there. And you can do that in a number of ways. But a lot of people, knowledge is power. I think a lot of this realized thinking and this fear comes from, not understanding. So one of the things that we do to help everybody is to, you know, really engage them in the process so they're learning along the way as well. But um, a, a lot of clients will come first to us and in contemplation of divorce to say, if I needed to step away, could I financially afford to do so? So mm-hmm. the first things you want to do is to start assembling your team and, and, it really does, I would think, start with the financial and the legal person, and then we always try to connect them with the divorce coach and the therapist. Um, so the beginning is really just gathering. You want to try to get an idea of what your assets look like, what your cash flow looks like, um, you know, start having conversations about the house. The house is sometimes very difficult to to discuss because sometimes people put their, you know, dig their heels in the ground and say, no matter what happens, I don't want to leave the house. But sometimes if we look at all the implications surrounding that, um, that's always not the best idea. So um, it, it's really, it's really about gathering, gathering a lot of data. And, you know, we have pages and pages of, you know, questions that we go through with people and, and 
you know, ways of figuring out uh, what may or may not be there that is in front of us on paper. Um, That's another area where the CDFA does end up being helpful to the attorney in terms of things like tracing. So, you know, I had a case where a client had her husband had bought a house and a business in Aruba, and she said, well, that's not really part of the marital balance sheet because it's, it was purchased post-separation. And I traced it back to marital assets, bought those, you know, those assets. So, you know, they do get pulled back onto the marital asset sheet for property division. So, you know, just little things that people aren't, aren't thinking about. But I, I do think that a lot of people, as I run, as strange as it may sound, find the divorce process empowering as they move through as opposed to, um, uh, you know, frightening. Because a lot of times it's the first time that one or the other may have control over their finances where they feel empowered that they know what they own, they know what these assets are, are, are there to do for them, and they can see a path and they can see the financial security later on. And sometimes it's the other spouse, man or woman, but it's the other spouse who is really bleeding the assets or portfolio on whatever, you know, whatever hobbies they may have or if it's mm-hmm. that led to the divorce in itself. So a lot of times we can't stop the bleeding and, and get away fast enough just so this person can build faster than, than they would have if they had stayed married. So ironically... Some people who are so afraid that they're not going to be able to maintain their lifestyle, they end up with a, a better lifestyle than they had before because it was really the other pro- the other person that was not as focused on building for the future. So it can right. be it, it can be surprisingly empowering working through the process. And bring um, Stephanie, I know I can tell you want to add something here, and then I want to throw something into the mix too. But it sounds like you've got something on the tip of your tongue you want to add to this conversation about what people can do to sort of prepare ahead of time to put them in the best situation. Oh no, I'm sorry, I was just agreeing emphatically with some of the things. That <laughs> okay, good. I'll well, hush myself. <laughs> So good. What I want to add to that and what I want to, you know, invite you, because you both, you know, work with women. First of all, not every woman is the vulnerable party financially. Some of them, you know, I have clients, too, where the woman is actually the primary breadwinner, and we have a number of men around the call, too, who may be in a primary breadwinner, or we might be equal breadwinners, you know. So we have all the different scenarios that are there. And, you know, if I am a breadwinner, I am a primary income earner, and um, what can I do? to prepare financially. And I sort of have my own thoughts on this sort of uh, from the relationship side for, toward a healthy divorce. Um, but I'm curious what either of you would say, and Stephanie, you know, I'm going to invite you to chime in here first. If I'm not necessarily in the vulnerable position, but I actually am a, you know, I'm an income earner, I am educated, I'm savvy, I have been making the decision, what are some things for me to do even before this process as well? That's a good question. Um, if you have thoughts, maybe jump in. I'll think of something while you're speaking. <laughs> All right. Well, I am going to jump in. I'm going to jump in with something, and then the two of you can jump in, too, if you like. You know, interesting, and was just working um, recently with a couple and, you know, a few couples. What I have discovered is that some of the biggest landmines that people enter are very early on, you know, around the finances. And, 
you know, much to the surprise of perhaps the more vulnerable part, person in the relationship financially, is that the person who perhaps has been the income earner is also feeling very vulnerable and feeling very afraid. So the vulnerable person mm-hmm. is thinking, oh, well, they have everything they don't have anything to worry about. But in fact, you know, they're looking at their lifestyle changing too. They're looking at, you know, perhaps potentially paying out alimony and child support, you know, all kinds of other things, you know, happening too. And the biggest trigger that I have found, one of the biggest triggers that can finish the capacity of a couple to divorce in a healthy way, and that's really our focus, that's why we run these calls, is to help people do this in a healthy way, not super expensive, and to make good decisions for themselves and their families, is actually for the couple to educate together so if there is one person who is a vulnerable party, that the, the one who has more knowledge coming to the table and saying, let's make everything transparent and up on the table before we even begin this, can actually be a huge problem alleviator <laughs> in the course of a healthy divorce. So I'm curious of your reactions to that strategy. Stephanie, do you want to comment? And then I'll invite Christine to comment. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess that is the key, right? Um, Because both parties are facing the uncertainty. And I think, you know, I have seen more from personal experience, people who are going into the situation, having that immediate kind of gut reaction of, oh, I have to stash some things away. I have to, you know, try to spend this down. I have to give as much away, you know. And again, there's obviously, there's often a lot of hurt going on on both sides. Um, so while I think that might be a very huge reaction, it's not a very constructive one for everyone's well-being going forward. Um, on the other side, you know, I just spoke to someone the other day who is thinking about going through a divorce, and it is a more healthy situation, as you were saying, and they have been able to speak very openly about money. And I think in the end, that's going to benefit both parties going forward if you have less of that um, if it's possible. Christine, go ahead and jump in. So I would agree, Adina, that, and and I have people come to me on both sides of the fence, the, you know, the dependent and the independent, if you want to call them spouses. Um, And as you mentioned earlier, it's interchangeable. We do have a lot of men who are the, you know, executive or business owner, um, income earners, and, and then, the men are, are making less. So be either way, but I would agree with you that the fears are the same. I, I don't think all the fears come from one side. The person who has been financially providing for the family and has built their career often is just as frightened the process. And it's not as much about, you know, the quote unquote the other person's going to take me to the cleaners. I, they are even more so aware of the fact that I always say to people, without stating the obvious, running two households is more expensive than running one. But it's not mm-hmm. going to be double, but there's going to be compromise on everybody's part. But I, I do agree, those people have just as many years. And, and I think a lot of times their spouses don't understand or realize that because they think, well, what do they have to worry about? They have all the earning potential and so forth, but it's there. But I I also agree, Adina, that I I have a case that I'm working on right now, and and this was very much the case, and they are, 
they're not in mediation, but they are very peacefully working through this. And she being just as mindful of the fact that some of what a traditional adversarial process may pressure on him to do is going to be difficult for him to do and maintain his retirement contributions and so forth. And he is being very accommodating about making sure that she's okay because he understands that she does not have the earning capacity anywhere near what he has. So if you can, if everybody can be on board with the idea that we're trying to help everybody walk as financially secure as possible, as opposed to two sides just trying to bury each other, it, it really is so refreshing and productive. It, the case moves through faster, less money is paid on all the prof- you know, paid to all the professionals. And at the end of the day, the clients are dividing more money and, you know, spending less time emotionally on, on the process. But I think the fears are on both sides. They're very real on both sides. And, and I think a lot of the press and a lot of what we hear out there is, is all the hype about, you know, protecting one side or another. Um, you know, it, the fear is real on both sides. Absolutely. And, I'm, you know, great example to, you know, bring forward here as well. And this idea of, you know, rising above, you know, when there is a lot of hurt, people wouldn't be getting divorced if people, someone didn't feel hurt. And, you know, especially if there's been wrongdoings in one way or another. And so sometimes I encourage an individual or a couple not to run and start the process until some of the heat of that emotion has you know, simmer down a bit because we're not going to be in the best position to have the healthiest divorce, the less least costly divorce financially and emotionally means actually to come to the table with a transparency and even a trust that feels like when I use that word, people saying trust, you know, I'm not trusting this person at all anymore, but, you know, there is a level of trust is still available for most couples and being able to do that certainly has tremendous benefits on both sides. Um, I want to raise another issue that came up in the questions, and we have a few minutes to talk about it, is this issue of getting a job. So if there has been a spouse who um, has not been working or has only been working part-time in relationship, and, you know, there are so many things out there. And as I raise this, I'm going to um, preface it by saying that there's going to be a financial response to this uh, or a financial input on this, a legal side to this, and an emotional side, and they may not all say the same, <laughs> you know, in response to the question, but at least we can talk about it from a financial standpoint here of, you know, should somebody get a job? So we're getting divorced, we're beginning the process, we know we're going to, one person has been either only partly employed or mildly employed or not employed, you know, should they head and start to get a job even before the process has finished. And it's not black and white, but let's put it out there. So, um, Stephanie, you want to add something into your thoughts on that? Sure. In fact, I'm working with a woman right now, and this was kind of her question. You know, she's like, all right, this is what I have to live on. There was a little cash flow. There was some assets. And she was really thinking, okay, I've got to go out and get a job, you know, next month, and I've got to make $60,000 or whatever it was. There was a number she had in her head. And when we actually sat down and, you know, 
talked about, you have to get really clear on, you know, what you think your cost saving is going to be. And that's often, you know, that's a whole other discussion. That can be a difficult thing. But if you know what you're going to be spending each month, we plugged that in to the projections and we ran everything out. And it turns out she can wait a year and then get a part-time job earning even $30,000 a year. She's going to be okay. And that was such a relief to her because that means she didn't have to take the first thing that came along that maybe she would hate doing. She could take her time, get her contacts back going, find something she would actually enjoy, and the financial pressure wasn't as great as she had thought. So again, it's back to knowledge is power. You know, get a clear sense and objective sense of what the numbers tell you before you jump to any actions. Great. And that actually, that was perspective on it. I hadn't even really had in the top of my head, so I'm so glad you brought it up. Christine, what are your thoughts on this topic of getting a job, of, you know, before the process is completed? Well, I think that you're correct in saying that everybody's going to come with different advice and different viewpoint. Um, the the calculations that are done by the attorney, um, he's going to have their own view, I'm sure, on who earns what when, depending on what side of the case they're working on. So I won't go into those those comments because I can't give legal advice. But in terms of the uh, the financial picture, it really does it does go down to cash flow and also stepping away from the financial aspect and asking yourself, what do you want the future to look like financially and otherwise? Um, so there may be a need to work. Um, in terms of the um, in terms of the calculations that are done, even if someone is not working. They're generally, at least in my count or the surrounding counties, they're, they're assigned an earning capacity whether they're working or not, unless there's something prohibiting them from working, for example, a health mental nervous issue. So um, they, they are going to be assigned an earning capacity, but it, it, really does, it really does drill down to cash flow, future financial projections, and what you want your your lifestyle and your future and your retirement to look like and, and whether you want to be able to help grandchildren, you know, whatever your charitable inclinations may be. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's like one of the other topics that we discussed. Some people are actually surprised by what they may find in terms of income and happiness from a career. So I'm thinking of, of one woman that I worked with a couple of years ago, and clearly she needed to find employment to be able to meet her financial goals. But she had never worked all, you know, through the entire marriage and her kids were well out of college and so she, she would have had time to work if she had wanted to, but there was no, no need to in the, you know, before that. And when I brought it up with her, I said, well, have you thought about what you might want to do in terms of, you know, a job or career? And, and she looked at me, you know, like I had five heads on my shoulder and said, do you mean get a job? as in work and outside of the, and I said, yes, I said, have you, have you thought about it? I said, you might, you might find something that you really enjoy. I mean, I, I think of my own career and how, how much I enjoy what I do. And um, she just couldn't even, could not even get her head around the possibility. And I will tell you, she's a financial planning client of mine. She has a job. 
She's very happy with it, loves all the social interaction. She's more financially secure. But I look back and, you know, just kind of chuckle at that point in time where she, you know, I, you would have thought I was asking her to jump off a bridge. But, but there are a lot of benefits, financial and otherwise, from, from employment. So it, it, can be, it can be a positive thing. They can be pleasantly surprised at as well. So you raised a couple things that I just highlight as we sort of move into the concluding parts of this call. And one of them is, and you alluded to the fact, when people ask that question, get a job now, right? And it's in the beginning of the divorce process and things like that. Or, you know, one spouse may be encouraging the other one to get a job or whatever. And that is that there's going to be a legal perspective. There's going to be a financial perspective. There's going to be an emotional perspective. And there's no one right answer to that. There's only perspectives. So regardless of, you know, what an attorney says, regardless of what the, you know, finance, the, the real answer is finding the answer for you in that moment. And hopefully it aligns, your answer is come to through a process where it aligns with your goal and your values and your sense of self-worth and what you want for yourself and a good rational decision for the process that you're in. But there's no one right answer to these questions. It does mean that people need to be in the driver's seat of their process and that it's very dangerous to go to one person or professional and say, well, you tell me what to do because these are deeply personal processes, deeply personal decisions, and it's critical to be able to find the answer inside, and especially if you haven't found the answer inside for a long time. The thing that you raised, Christine, that I just want to highlight is how things change. And Stephanie talked about this before, is that we have the sense that we just look at the way things are now and we tend to think they're always going to be that way. And every story that both of you shared, certainly all the clients that I've worked with, nothing ever looks same in the future as it does from the present moment because change is the natural course of life. So being able to kind of hang on to this fact, even though I can't see it, something is going to be different and I can be somewhat of an architect of designing that is such an important, um, you know, it, it's something important to find the capacity to grab onto in this process. So I actually realized while well, time is running away from us because we've had such a full call. So what I'd like to do is I know people are going to want to get in touch with you. So um, Stephanie, how do people get in touch with you if they want to reach you after this call and they have any questions or want to find you? Sure. So my website is sophiafinancial.com. That's S-O-F-I-A, financial.com. My phone number, my direct line is 610-640-7641. And my email is stephanie, spelled the trick way, at sophiafinancial.com. And I'd love to hear from anyone. Thank you. And, and Christine, tell us how people can reach you if they follow up or have questions. And I know we're also going to get some resources that will be sent to you in the follow-up from both Stephanie and Christine afterwards. But, Christine, how do people reach you? Well, my telephone number is 610-429-400. And my email is chennigan, H-E-N-N-I-G-A-N, at divorcewhatstrategies.com. Um, we can also schedule through the paralegal working with me, and she is Stevie Richards, S. Ritz, at com. And I would be happy to answer any questions privately that anyone has after the call. 
Thank you both so much for being on. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Divorce Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Sharon Pastore, or my partner, Chris Pastore, at MyHealthyDivorce.com. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, you can have a healthy divorce. It's how you divorce that matters.